Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. I want to focus in on words that we have already sung today and just highlight the significance of those words. But as you're turning to Isaiah chapter 9, which is in the Older Testament of the Lord, uh, I'll just draw your attention to probably the most well-known section of Scripture for us in Christmas, Luke chapter 2. It says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, Father, as we have read your word and we are considering it and pondering it, I pray that your Holy Spirit, who is a great teacher, would be heard in our hearts, in our thoughts. And by receiving this word, taking it in by faith, it would transform our living and our praying and our discussions. All to the glory of King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Those two sentences are among the most popular surrounding the Christmas narrative, and rightfully so. They are the angel's announcement that hope has come to the world. Now, if you remember the biblical history here, since mankind's rebellion and disobedience to the Lord all the way back in Genesis 3, God pronounced a curse on sin and a curse on creation that uh, was bringing real havoc to the world sin had brought that havoc and God was going to bring an ultimate justice to that sin and as he's communicating that he is also communicating his mercy and the hope that could be found in an offspring of woman who would come and crush the head of the one who has ushered in the temptation for this kind of sin this kind of wayward living so at the time that God is pronouncing his justice and judgment he is also pronouncing his mercy and throughout the Old Testament you find this narrative building and an anticipation for the Messiah to come in fact, uh, the prophets of old told us that there would be a first advent of Christ, and although it's misunderstood, they also told that there would be a second advent, a second coming of Christ. That one didn't quite register. It was known as a mystery. Uh, but God had made it known that there would be a Messiah to come who would bring hope and salvation to the world. And Isaiah is one of the prophets that God chose to use his mouth to proclaim both judgment and mercy so isaiah 9 is the unfolding of that prophecy it's a prophecy that has an immediate context and a long-lasting context even into our generation today so we're focusing on chapter 9 of isaiah begin with me reading in verse 6 and then we'll trail back to catch the context a little bit Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, why don't we read this out loud collectively, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So those are the four titles that Isaiah is focusing on and I think will be helpful for us as we focus on them as well because what Isaiah is doing is he is prophesying how Jesus would be known he is going to be known as a wonderful counselor he is going to be known as a mighty God an everlasting father and the prince of peace now 
Isaiah goes further into details in his book, but I'm just going to kind of scoot along the top, if you will, and we'll just kind of capture some of the highlights of what he's talking about here. But let's, let's just move into these four. First of all, Jesus the Messiah is wonderful counselor. I think those two words are meant to be together. It's not just that he's wonderful and that he's a counselor, although he is wonderful and he is a counselor. He is wonderful counselor. And I think that's true because Isaiah goes in chapter 29, verse 29, into more detail saying the Messiah is being wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So he is altogether wise, therefore he is a wonderful counselor. Now we've been reading through Proverbs here on Sunday mornings for the last several weeks. And all that Solomon was telling us about wisdom through Proverbs, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the expression of wisdom. And he is, as Paul would say to the Corinthian church, he is the wisdom from God. So he is the personification. He's altogether the, the embodiment of wisdom. Now the Lord's counsel to us in that wisdom from the Messiah is perfect and it is righteousness. And with love, he communicates that to us as our wonderful counselor. Here's the way Psalms 32 says it. I will instruct you and teach you in a way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now here the psalmist gives us a little bit more detail about Jesus' wonderful counselor. What he's saying is that he is not distant and removed from us as a God as if he is far and away, but his eyes are upon us as he is counseling us, wonderfully counseling us, teaching us the way that we should go. So Jesus Messiah is wonderful counselor. Secondly, he is mighty God. Certainly his might is demonstrated in all the miraculous wonders that he did while he was here on earth in his public ministry. But it goes way back further than that. His mightiness is evident in creation and also in the sustaining power that it takes to keep creation held together. The amazing writings of the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Colossians helps us to understand this as well. Speaking of Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, meaning he is the exalted, the preeminent above all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in all things they are held together by him. This is the power of of Christ. He speaks everything into creation and it comes to be and he holds creation together so it is sustained to be. The mightiness of God is on demonstration every time we see the order and the beauty and the wonder of creation. Even what is happening right now. What we say is a, a nasty day is actually a beautiful provision of the mightiness of God that he gives rain to us sustaining us and sustaining his creation to his own glory now sometimes we miss the mightiness of God at Christmas and even other times at Easter because we have this image of the nativity as it has been marketed to us and it is very humble and it is and it's very subdued and it is it's quite quaint if you will and, and we we 
fail to see oftentimes the mightiness of God in creation or excuse me in the nativity but here's what Jesus wants us to know his mightiness is evident in that the son of God has come in flesh in the baby form and he has orchestrated all the cosmos to be aligned perfectly to the words of the prophets he has made it so that the will of pagan kings are actually the will of God carrying out the orders as God would have them to be as prophesied about he has moved the populace of the world so that everybody is in their rightful place including Joseph and Mary I'm telling you everything that is orchestrated about Christmas morning as we know it to be it is all under the might of God that it is so that every word of every prophet of God that is spoken about the Messiah's birth came about in its exact precision that's a might my friends and the same might is evident at Easter as well with Jesus on the cross some might would say well it doesn't look very mighty on that cross well I can tell you on the cross it took the mightiness of God to hold the weight of sin of every person of all time and he bore it there and it took a mightiness of God to have the extended wrath of God the justice of God poured out for every sin ever committed of all time and Jesus was mighty enough to do that it took the mightiness of God for the life of God to be put to death in order that he might be raised up on the third day and then to be ascended to the heaven the mightiness of God is on display as we look at Messiah Jesus but it's not just about Jesus's might and us pointing to him it's about that spiritual victory that Jesus has over sin and death in the grave that is extended to you and me by faith so that the mightiness of God is on demonstration in Christ and that mightiness is shared with us with the resurrection power given to us that same power that resurrected Christ from the grave is in you and me today who are in faith in God that who sent his son Jesus we're grateful for that because it transforms our life so he's wonderful counselor he is mighty God and he is everlasting father now maybe this phrase is more mysterious than the others how is Jesus the son of God the everlasting father and what Isaiah is drawing to here is the mystery of the trinity and how he is describing Jesus as son of God titled as everlasting father I think what Isaiah is referring to most here is that Jesus is the Messiah by which will provide for us spiritual birth a rebirth if you will from heaven above and he is making provision for us that we might be sons and daughters of God in that he is our everlasting father here's the way he would later say it in Isaiah 53 yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him again the Trinity is involved God the father is crushing God the son he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt and he Jesus the Messiah shall see his offering his offspring so Jesus by his death and resurrection and that which is afforded to us will raise us up and we shall be his offspring and that he is everlasting father Jesus is this life-giving father who cares for us who protects us who provides for us who advocates for us and who provides for us for today and for eternity so Isaiah is making a big point isn't it 
isn't he, that Jesus is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father, and he is prince of peace. He even tells us in Isaiah 53 how Jesus is going to provide this peace that only he can provide. It says he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed the apostle paul said it similarly we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus so we were enemies of god we were at odds with God because God's word was disobeyed by us. We chose our will over the will of God. We chose our way over his way. And that put us in opposition to God. We were not at peace. But Jesus came so that he might take our sinfulness upon himself and might forgive us of that sin and he might credit us with his righteousness so that he might declare us righteous before the holy God that we can stand before him in shalom, in peace, that we might be whole before him. So he is the prince of peace without any question. Now all of those titles that Isaiah has attributed to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, gives us the immense reason why we celebrate christmas that's why we sing about it that's why we proclaim it that's why we celebrate it because jesus is wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father and prince of peace and that transforms how we live because christmas reminds us that jesus brings that kind of light and glory and hope to us because of who he is and what he provides for us now isaiah's good news described in chapter 9 verse 6 is i think one of the highlights of the old testament for us one that we draw near to us during this time we just sang about it as noah was leading us a moment ago we sang about it those words are powerful but you have to understand the context in which isaiah has written them to understand just how powerful they are because Isaiah's words written in chapter 9 are written during a time where there was great anguish and gloom. There was no hope. There was only darkness. And Isaiah is writing to a people who understood the agony of great sin and the consequences of idolatry and the consequences of rejecting God so he's writing this word in a prophetic sense from God to the people who are in anguish look what he says in chapter 9 verse 1 but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in other words they have experienced all this anguish because of God's judgment that has come against them they've experienced all this gloom because God has punished them in their sin he says in former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan Galilee of the nations now that might be somewhat confusing but if you and i will take a moment and just think through the phrases that isaiah has given to us there i think we can be encouraged by this truth this setup if you will for the good news of jesus christ now you have to understand isaiah in an overview of what he's doing isaiah is a prophet who's writing with two primary messages 
On the screen, you'll see this diagram by the Bible Project, and I think it's very helpful to us. The, the message of Isaiah is twofold. Number one, it's the judgment of God, and secondly, it is the hope of God. Now, if you remember your Old Testament history, you know that the people of God, before they went into the Promised Land, were told by God through Moses, these are the ways that I expect my people to live in holiness. I'll be your God, you be my people. And if you follow me and you don't spiritually whore after other gods but have me and only me then i will bless this land did you did you know that this was a land that was different from all the other land that israel had been in this is a land that did not have the river nile running through it this is a land that required god to bring rain from the north to go into the valleys with the jordan river and supply all that that fertile valley needed with water. And God said, if you disobey me and you worship other gods, I will close off the heavens and I will not provide for you and I will remove you from the land. Now that's exactly what had happened. The people were disobedient to God and they were idolatrous in their worship to other gods and God closed up the heavens and God brought in the Assyrian Empire who removed a great number of the people into exile, removed them from the land. And what Isaiah is doing is he is prophesying about that. Now, it had already occurred at the moment for the ten tribes of Israel. And Isaiah is declaring this is what God is doing and he will do it as well to Judah. It will be 75 years later that God will bring in the Babylonian Empire and they will sweep Judah as, as well. So Isaiah's words in chapter, one, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 is, this is coming to Zebulun and Naphtali. Why is he only bringing those two out from the ten tribes of Israel? Because they were the first to experience it. So he's declaring the judgment of God. Now look what he's doing as well. He's saying at the same time he is declaring the judgment of God, he is declaring the hope of God because God has made a covenant promise. This covenant goes all the way back to Genesis 12, doesn't it, where God singles out a man. He says, I'm going to make a nation out of you and I'm going to bless the nations through you. And I'm going to bring from your offspring this blessing to, the, to all the world, to all the nations. And that was declared to his sons as well. And it was declared to King David as well. As they're through the lineage there of Abraham. And God has made an everlasting covenant to this people that I will provide the Messiah through you. So Isaiah is declaring the judgment of God. But at the same time, he is declaring that God is going to provide the Messiah. And he will bring the hope of God. In fact, in that hope, there would be a future kingdom that would be established through the line of David. That's the Messiah. And Israel will be obedient to the covenant of God. And yes, they will do that later after Isaiah's death. But ultimately, they will do that in the kingdom of God when his millennial kingdom is established. And they have a new heart. That's where Isaiah missed it. And that's where religion can miss it today. Isaiah wanted people desperately to obey the covenant of God, but what he did not understand fully is they needed a new heart to be able to do that. So religion will push us to do things in our own strength. God says, no, no, I'm going to give you a new heart. Your old heart is dead. 
and I'm going to make you to be born from above, not born of flesh and blood. I'm going to make you be born from heaven, and I will give you a new heart, and I'll put my nature in your heart, and you will be obedient out of that. That's the joy of salvation, that Christ not only forgives our sin, but he gives us his nature that we might live in the righteousness of Christ. And certainly from that comes the blessings of, of God for the nations as the Messiah is given, not just to Israel or not just to us in Alabama, but given to the whole world. That's the glory. So an amazing thing has happened is that God is announcing his judgment at the same time he is announcing the hope of the future, which is what verse 2 is all about. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So he's mentioned Zebulun and Naphtali. And as I mentioned to you, those are the two tribes who actually saw God's justice first. But catch this. And the hope of Christ, the Messiah, they are the two where the central focus of Jesus' ministry is placed. It's there in the tribe of Naphtali where you find the town of Nazareth. It's there in that region that you find the Sea of Galilee, all that's north and to the west. It's there that all the miracles transpired. Well, the majority of the miracles transpired of Christ where the majority of the teachings of Christ transpired that are Scripture. So he's saying, you will experience the judgment of God, but you will be the first to experience the hope of God. You're in darkness right now, but there is coming a day in the Messiah that you will be in the great light. This great, wonderful advent that we celebrate, Christ's coming to, to bring light to the world. It's the reason why we light up things at Christmas. We want to bring attention to the light, the glory of God that has come in Christ Jesus. So the wonder of this is that God... In the places where he has brought his judgment has ushered in his mercy and hope. Do you know that's the way it is for us individually as well? At the place where our sins and our regrets and failures bring the judgment of God, he offers our greatest hope in those places as well. That Jesus brings the mercy of God into those places. In our disease and brokenness, it's Jesus who provides the hope for us in that in our woundedness in our sickness it's Jesus who provides for us in those moments so Jesus is wanting to bring about hope in every area of our lives he wants you to know and understand his wise counsel regarding every aspect of our lives he wants us to experience his mighty strength strength that will result in glory and victory and jesus is the one who does that he wants you to be spiritually born again that you might be birthed from above and thereby jesus will be your beloved father he wants you to live under his rule and reign in peace because your sins are forgiven and righteousness is declared over you and peace with god is made and even when things are turbulent and don't work well in this world you know with the peace of god he will reconcile all things in Christ Jesus so this notion of being wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace is meant to be very personal but now look in verse 3 he says you have multiplied the nation you have increased its joy 
They rejoice before you as with joy at harvest, at the harvest. They are as glad when they divide the spoil. So in the first advent of Christ, which is what we are celebrating at Christmas, Jesus has ushered in the spiritual kingdom of God and all those truths are known. That's how we have joy in Christ. That's how you can have joy even though the world seems in such chaos. You can have joy because Christ has ushered in his kingdom and his presence with us. And since that first advent, the Lord has continued to offer that salvation to all people everywhere. Can I remind you, it might be lackadaisical, the culture of of the gospel here in the West, but in the rest of the world, it is flourishing. In the rest of the world, God is doing incredible things in places where it seems to be closed off and the gospel doesn't have freedom. The gospel is flourishing in unprecedented numbers. People are being saved because God had made this promise that there would be a great joy among the nations and a great spreading of this gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse five, verse 4, for the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you, the Messiah, have broken as on the day of Midian. So if you're one to underline in your Bible or circle, you might circle the words yoke and staff and rod because those are all the tools of the enemy who comes against us. He tries to yoke us, to restrain us. He tries to guide us in evil with his staff he tries to beat us down with the rod and what isaiah is seeing is that jesus the mighty one crushes all that work of the enemy it's what god said back in genesis 3 jesus messiah will crush the head of the serpent it will be an inflicted wound that he will not survive and that brings great joy and hope as in the day of midian now trail back with me it's a long time before and the people of Israel have been harvesting in the valley and I can tell you I've been there the valley is a fruitful place it is not only the bread basket but it is the fruit bearing it is the vegetable bearing it is the produce area of Israel and during the time of the harvest the Midianites who were great in number would sweep through and they would just take and glean all that was available to Israel. All that they had been working for was stolen away by the Midianites. And they would do it over and over again to the point that the people were absolutely dejected. They were weakened and they were starved and they were humiliated. But then God raised up one who is improbable as a warrior and his name was Gideon. And by God's grace, Gideon was able to bring together about 32,000 people to fight the Midianites of over 100,000. But God said, no, Gideon, we're not going to fight it in that way. And he reduced the numbers down from 32 to 10,000, down again to 300. And now Gideon, with 300 people, and the only weaponry they have is horns to blast go before the Midianites and God absolutely routes them he just decimates them God is incredible in his might to the point that people can have victory with just a trumpet 
remember god is pretty incredible when it comes to warfare with trumpets he did the same thing and the people were marching around jericho remember that and god said at this particular point sound the trumpet and he would bring the destruction of the people and that's exactly what happened what's happening there is that the people are lifting up the praise to god and announcing the word of god with the blast of trumpets and as the midianites were completely humiliated jesus christ the messiah completely humiliates the devil and all of his horde we have in our day the work of the enemy has been broken he has been disarmed he has no weaponry over us nothing can be formed against us and prosper in the name of jesus and he says in the end in verse five for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire in other words all that the enemy has had its boots to its clothing will actually be used by god for a wondrous help for his people what god is doing is he is taking those things that once satan used in your downfall and your demise god is taking them and using them for your good i've watched it happen in people with sickness and in disease sometimes god heals them and other times god uses that very thing as the fuel for the refiner's fire and he causes their heart he causes their way he causes their will their language their purpose to be totally transformed so that they better reflect the glory of christ and they know his presence all the more sin that was once kept secret god takes and uses for a platform of ministry so that you help others to know and discover the goodness of the messiah and the wonder of being born again from above brokenness that was meant to destroy you has been a revelation of god's compassion to you as he binds up and restores the brokenhearted this is what god is doing he is restoring and using for good those things that were meant to bring destruction in your life. So the celebration of Christmas comes with that understanding that Jesus, the wise, mighty father, ruler, a prince, as a prince of peace, has changed everything for those who believe and surrender to him. He rules in our hearts today by faith, just as he will rule physically in the millennial kingdom one day in the future, which Isaiah saw and that time the government will be on his shoulders and it will be wonderful and so with that isaiah announces what you and i treasure about christmas and what the angels announced in luke chapter 2 to those shepherds who were near to bethlehem for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So as we look back to what has been accomplished in Christmas, we can't help but look forward to what will be accomplished in the second advent when he returns again.
As we look back to the spiritual kingdom that Christ was establishing, we look forward to the physical kingdom that he will establish in the millennial, and it will be wondrous. But the question nestles down to this. Are you in his kingdom? Have you discovered him as mighty counselor? Is he identified in the brokenness of your life? Has he been discovered by you to be the mighty God? You see, the everlasting Father has brought life to you. Is he the Prince of Peace in your life? I want to invite you to come to him. Surrender your life to him. Come to him and know Jesus in those ways. Father, help us in this moment to respond to you in the way of the gospel. May Jesus be exalted. May people be transformed. May it be evident that you're doing a work in our hearts. In the name of Christ, amen. I have some people standing down front as we sing this song and the opportunity for us to respond to the gospel, respond to Jesus as you would come to him in obedience to him. Come to him as Messiah. Come to him as the one who can give new life. He takes your brokenness and binds you with his love and mercy. Would you stand please as we sing this song just as I am referring to Lord I'm coming as I am so that you might be the transformer in me. You come if God is leading you to come. To newness of life you come. Just as I am without one God is speaking and you're responding. It's compassion. Wash it for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as
You have all knowledge. You're timeless. So in that, you are a wonderful counselor. Lord, the one who spoke all things into existence and the one who holds all things together and one day will destroy all things is mighty God. And Lord, you alone are the one who can give us a spiritual life. We've destroyed it. You alone can make us new. You alone can wash sins away. You can cast them as far as the east is from the west. You can make us to be born from above, sons and daughters of you. So, oh Lord, you are an everlasting Father, holding us in your care, never to let go of us, never to forsake us. You are the perfect Father. Oh, Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. There is no one, no thing that can bring shalom into our life. There's nothing that can make us whole except you. So, Jesus, Prince of Peace, let your peace reign and rule in our hearts. Let it be evident in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. We bless you for that kind of transformation. In your blessed name. The name above all names, Jesus Messiah, we pray.